The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with your host, Gail Doby and Aaron Weir, co-founders of Gail Doby Coaching and Consulting. Welcome, and thanks for joining us today. I'm your co-host, Erin Weir, and today, Gail Doby and I want to share with you how to adjust your business model when it isn't working. Life would be pretty boring if you weren't constantly growing and stretching yourself to new possibilities, right? With growth comes change, and you need to always be observing your business and the red flags so that you know when it's time to pause and make some adjustments to your business model. But before we get started, we'd like to share how you can connect with us. Head on over to our website, gildobie.com, to learn more about the experiences we offer and to check out our latest blog posts. Be sure to follow gail.dobie on Instagram and Facebook, and we'd love to connect on LinkedIn as well. Erin, this is going to be fun today. I, I know that sounds strange because we're going to talk about mistakes, but I definitely think that the best way to learn is from someone else's mistakes and not your own. Yeah, I would totally agree. And also just how you handle mistakes too. I think that I would not be where I am now if you didn't accept the mistakes that I made and allowed me to learn from them. So yeah, I'm excited to chat about it. <laughs> well, luckily you don't make too many mistakes, so that's good. <laughs> well, I do try. <laughs> yes, you do. Well, let's go back to a little bit of our story. And I know we'll repeat some things that we've probably talked about in another podcast, but we might have some people here that have not heard the other ones. So let's just chat about this a little bit. And when you started with me, it was back in 2005 and we were still doing design and then we pivoted and went into another business that we overlapped with our design business. And that is what we're doing right now. And I just remember our, our conversations led to us making a decision to start this new business, Gail Doby Coaching and Consulting. But at that time, it was called Design Success University. And we started that without a business plan. We had the idea roughly around late 2007, and we started March 8th of 2008. So um, I think that one of the things that I remember about that is that we just did not know what we didn't know. Well, I think the cool part about that, Gail, for me was we didn't know what we didn't know, but we did know what we wanted. And we knew that we wanted to be able to use your finance degree. We knew that we still wanted to work together. I wanted to be able to have some flexibility in my schedule so that I could start a family. Um, And so I remember sitting in your dining room and just writing up some of the things that we wanted in life. And we do have a little bit of an age gap between us. And you wanted some different things than what I wanted, but we were still wanting to try to figure out how to make all those things happen together. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, even though we didn't have technically a business plan and we didn't know what we didn't know, we did know what we wanted at the end of the day um, and the kinds of lives that we were trying to um, create for ourselves in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, and also just having another business that we were still running on the side while we were trying to figure this one out. It was just so interesting looking back on that and 
especially because it's been 12 years now. And all the things we've had to do along the way just to survive, especially in the beginning around 2008 through, say, maybe 2010, it was really tough. There were some fingernail moments and some times I was worried about paying you and and keeping the business going just because we were still in that recession. And it took so long for us to come out of that. One thing I would say that I learned from that too is that using credit cards is something that you do because you're thinking, well, how else am I going to pay the bills? But if you're doing that and you're relying on those cards too much, it's saying that your business model is broken and you have to fix that. And so let me just define really quickly what a business model is for people that may not know that. It really is your financial model. How are you going to price? What is your profit model? And you need to plan for that. And you also need to have a systems and processes in place, a marketing plan, and generally know strategically who are you working with, why would they want to work with you, and have all of that put together into a plan that works. And you can tell pretty quickly if it's working or not when you see your bottom line on your profit and loss statement. And if it's in the negative month after month, then something is broken. You have to fix that. Right. Well, and I know even um, lately, we have been looking at the budget and those numbers every week um, just to keep an eye on it during this time. So I definitely have learned a lot from you, Gail, as far as um, just how to budget and looking at those finances on a weekly basis, because that is definitely not the mold that I come out of. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, going back, um, as far as like what we didn't know, essentially, you know, we had an interior design business that we were still functioning in and the way we marketed ourselves for our interior design business, you know, in the Denver area was far different than this new package that we had opened up, right? Like all of a sudden we were learning about how we needed to have a list, an email list, and how do we create an email list? And how do you stay in front of an email list? And I remember just thinking, oh my God, she is, she's crazy. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't even know how to build this list. I mean, talk about going coming out of your shell and just being willing to learn new things. Um, and then once we figured out how to kind of start building a list, Gail's like, well, we need to blog now. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're going to blog. And she's like, and with that, we'll also do an inbox magazine. And thank God we started doing that. And I'm like, okay, this will be like a quarterly inbox magazine. She's like, no, we're going to do this weekly. And you know, now when I'm having conversations with, um, you know, partners and strategic conversations about marketing for our business, I can actually say, you know, how many years has it been, Gail? That we've twelve had a, years. Mm-hmm. Uh, twelve years. We've had a weekly inbox magazine. Mm-hmm. Never uh, rain or shine. It's mm-hmm. happening, and it always has a brand new blog post every single week. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll tell you, I've I've been at the tail end of that, and it, it hasn't necessarily been easy in certain moments. Um, but that consistency has really helped us keep um, a list of people that are really um, engaging with us, and they want to know what we're sending. 
Mm-hmm. And so do you want to talk a little bit, Gail, about how we built our list and kind of the peak that it got to and then how we decided to kind of pair back a little bit? Sure. Well, gosh, that was such an interesting time <laughs> because we didn't have a list to start. And in the business that we're in, which is essentially internet marketing in a sense, even though we're coaching and consulting, the basis of it is internet marketing. So that means that we have to have an online presence. We need to market that way. And we needed to figure out how to get people on the list so that we could market to them. So the first thing that happened is we looked for people that had a list and we found someone that did and she agreed to promote with us. And then we ended up putting together an event, our first event, which was a three-day event online, which is ironic since we're coming back to that this year and doing a virtual event. So in doing so, we were starting from zero and we got up to about 700 people. And when we hit our peak, we probably had about 18,000 people on our list. However, during 2008, when we had our first event in October, that was right when the market crashed completely. And we ended up um, seeing about 40% of the designers went out of business. So over the years, we've gotten to the point now where what what do you think our list is right now? I would say it's probably around 3,800 people. Um, and, but it's all people that are engaged with us. They're opening their emails. They're opening those newsletters weekly. Mm -hmm. Um, we have a really high open rate. So I remember that moment when I was like, Oh my gosh, we have some, now we have so many people on the list. Well, what does that mean? And, you know, we really took a hard look at that, um, just as internet marketers and as Gail and Aaron. And there's a couple of things I want to say about that is one, Um, When we started looking at this big number of people on our email list, and if you've never grown a list or if you have and you and you want to revive it, you know, uh, there's so many spam laws that just keep coming out, right? You've got to have them opt in for something and you can't email people if they didn't ask to be emailed about something. And then really, you know, Sean on our team is always, you know, putting in the extra steps to make sure we get a double opt in. And then there's the Canadian spam laws. And like, it's just one thing after another that I'm like, my God, like we are never going to have, you know, a list that we can really talk about. But as our list grew, what we realized is that our stats were going down. And it's because, you know, we would have a spike because maybe people were excited about that event or they were excited about a program that we were talking about. But overall consistency, when we looked at our stats, we were like, you know, we would rather be keeping a really clean list that's on the smaller side and actually talking to people that want to hear from us truly that are engaging with us, they're opening our emails, they're commenting on our blog posts, rather than trying to have eons and eons of people that we, we don't know whether they're designers or you know they're design enthusiasts or they just got done watching HGTV, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think the important lesson is that even though we're talking about a list, which some of our clients were encouraging to start doing, the other part is you can relate that to Instagram or Facebook. How many followers do you have? Right. And for most people, it's not about the number of followers. It's about the engagement. How many comments are you getting? How many people are sharing your posts? And that is what you're looking for as you're starting to build your marketing machine. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because, you know, we have a key performance indicators that we're reporting on every week. And I'm always so fascinated to see, you know, the open rates, um, you know, the organic searches that come in through on Google Analytics. And I'm, I'm actually really starting to enjoy all of those numbers even more um, now that I'm having to track them. But it's funny, even my daughter the other day, she's been on TikTok and she's like, Mom, I got three new followers today. <laughs> and of course, you know, as a mom, I'm like, okay, like who's following you? Like, is it, you know, is it Mr. Martinez from school, like your teacher, or is it, you know, someone that we don't know? And of course I'm looking at that, but then she's like, and then I got all these likes. And what was fascinating to me is I was sitting back here and I'm like, I do this every day. And here my daughter is so excited that she has followers and likes and people commenting on what she's posting. And I'm like, gosh, at any age now, it's, you know, whether you're on Instagram or you have an email list or, you know, you are on TikTok, you're, you are, you're looking at who's following you and what kind of reaction you're getting from people. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. It is. And you have to be watching the numbers. And I think that's one thing that I would want to bring out here is that a lot of people don't like to look at their numbers because they're creative. And, you know, it's really interesting, though, is that you're creating business. So if you're creating business, why wouldn't you want to know what your numbers are? Because ultimately, you have to be looking at the one number that I think is the most important, which is what is your profit? And what percentage are you? So, for example, today, and this is really interesting. I was just looking at some industry stats just um, two weeks ago as we were looking at our boardroom reports for our top clients. And the industry as a whole is making about 8% net profit. So they may be just making $8, but you have to look at what are those costs that are causing them to only have $8 left over out of every $100 they bring in. So for example, their cost of goods sold, which is all of your products that you buy, and then the overhead that it takes to run your business, all of those things cost a lot of money. So in just one year, it went from about almost 10% down to 8%. That's a pretty big drop. So what that tells me is that our industry is struggling with their business model and they don't know how to price properly. And that's one of the things that I think is so important is to to really understand how to price your services and what is it exactly that you're going to be delivering to clients today. Because in some cases, some of the clients don't want you to buy for them because they can buy online. So yeah, all of our designers are having to make decisions about what do I do? How do I price? And should I price higher for my hourly rate? And how should I actually do markups? So that has been an interesting conversation with so many of our clients about how to do this properly so they're making more money. Do you have any comments? You know, in our VIP experiences, when we start really looking at people's businesses and we start going through their numbers scale of how they're charging, um, you know, what type of profit they're making in their business and really what changes need to happen immediately to get that profit up um, and to get the efficiencies up in their business. I'm always amazed to see um, the conundrum that comes up for everyone. You know, it's what is your hourly rate? Are you charging enough in your area? Um, are you charging enough for your designers that are working for you? And then the biggest question of how do you deal with clients that want to purchase on their own? And so what do you see designers doing right now, Gail, in regards to that? 
Well, there are a couple of things. It depends on what level of designer you are. And people who are working at the very high end will continue to buy for their clients. It's just going to be the nature of the beast. It does not mean that they won't shop. But the reality is you need to talk to your client about whether they're going to shop or not. And you need to have something in your contract about what happens if they do shop. And in some cases, our clients will charge maybe 15 or 20% above whatever retail is, or they'll charge straight retail and take whatever discount they get from the vendor. But what I tell our designers quite a bit is that you've got to be careful of that because you can really dilute your profit margin for your business. And so for us, I don't know if you remember this from the design days, but there were a few clients that we just said, why don't you just go buy this yourself? Just if we don't get more than 20%, really, it's best for you to go ahead and buy it at retail. So we, that's what we started doing. And that was, wow, that was years ago. And that was a decision we made because we just didn't want that margin to be cut by the clients doing that purchasing on their own. So um, what hurts, though, for some designers is they think, oh, my gosh, but if we don't do the purchasing, we're losing all of that profit. Right. But on the other side, if they're purchasing for the wrong people and they're buying things at retail like restoration hardware, that just doesn't work. So you have to be able to buy well, which means that you need stocking dealer pricing with some of the vendors, which means you probably need to go to High Point Market. And you need to keep renegotiating to see what better deals you can get with your vendors so that you can make some money and run it through the business. Because quite frankly, it is hard for the clients to purchase something that's custom. But if it's straight off the floor, that's one thing. But if you're going to do custom work, you need to be able to have control of that and you need to put that in your contract. That reminds me of the story of one of our clients who we've selected this gorgeous rug and it came across um, the ocean (laughs) and it was like, you know, the timing was, of course, right around the holidays and all the magic was going to happen in this room. Uh, In the meantime, I will tell you that Gail and I are designing uh, window panels that are are hand-painted linen from Nepal um, and we are trying to make sure that we have like these perfect draperies that go up. Anyways, long story short, I'm sure we can tell this huge story later, but we get the rug in. Um, Of course, it's gorgeous. It matches everything. The client's pleased. And like three days later, they're calling us saying, you have got to get this out of our house. It smells like mutton. Well, it turns (laughs) out that they didn't air out the rug when it came off of the ship. They just put it right in the truck and brought it to Denver. And And it was wet in the shipment. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it was a very expensive rug. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, we were able to work with the the vendor um, on this situation. But even in cleaning the rug, it just, it was not something that the client could deal with the smell. um, And we really, to be honest, couldn't either. And at the end of the day, she went to Restorations Hardware and she purchased a rug. And it was such a learning moment because I was like, oh my gosh, we just went from this like handmade custom rug that got shipped across the ocean to here to a restoration hardware rug, like right there. And that's what made her room. And she was happy and all the magic happened for the holidays. And we moved on. 
<laughs> one of many stories with that client. But yeah, yeah, the rug ended up being 10% of the price of the custom rug that we had made for her. And it, it was crazy. sad because it was four months that she had to wait for the first rug and then to have all that happen. But wow, that was a <laughs> crazy time. I know. But, yeah, but going back to that, I think of how hard it was to work with her because once we got to the point where she was buying some things at retail, then it just became part of how we had to work together with her. And was that okay? Well, I I think it's one of those cases of as a designer and a firm owner, you have to decide how you're willing to work. And if you want control of all the purchasing, it needs to be in your contract. Right. 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 Absolutely. And if you don't have a contract, you have to have one. (laughs) Right. Well, and we also suggest that you, you know, in your pre-interview questions before you actually meet the client, when you're interviewing them over the phone, or really you shouldn't be doing it, one of your team members should be doing it. Um, You know, we have a couple of questions that we have you ask, like, have you worked with other designers in the past? Um, And, you know, are you wanting to do shopping on your own? Just so that it's just out there in the beginning. Like, let's have this conversation now because I might not be the right designer for you. Mm-hmm. So, right. so going back to this list building and when we started the business scale, mm-hmm. you said that we became internet marketers kind of overnight. And I wanted to talk about that for a minute because that was a moment where we didn't really know what we didn't know. Um, but we were willing to learn and, um, you know, we knew we had to have a list, which meant we had to have a place that we could store email addresses and that we could communicate to people. And I think even around that time, around one of our first events, we were trying to start up like a $37 a month membership. Um, we had the people, we had people excited about it. Um, but we actually couldn't deliver on it because Mm -hmm. the person that we had hired to help us with this, like email world of delivery didn't come through. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we made it through that and, and got that figured out. But what we were doing is we were going through the motions of an internet marketer, what we knew and what we truly believed we had to do to start creating this online business. But what we didn't realize is that we kind of lost Gail and Aaron's voice in all the communication that was going out. Like, you know, you could look at the checklist and it was like, yep, the easing's going out every week. Um, you know, we've got, we've got social media presence. We've got this. And finally, you know, we've had a couple of people over time tell us that, you know, our baby's ugly and we've had to take a step back and like, and say, you know, so, okay, what angle are they talking about the baby? Like how, how can we fix this? And, you know, I really remember um, starting our work um, with media matters and looking at our brand and they're like, you guys have so many acronyms. It's really hard to track what you're talking about. And we've met you as people now. And what we're reading is not sounding like you. You're doing all the right things. We just need to find a way to get your brand and your voice back to being Gail and Aaron. Um, and that was that was a, a big project starting to unfold mm. right then and there. Um, and you know, we we just took it with storm and we listened um, and we asked a lot of questions. And you know, I still think that we're not necessarily perfect on every single day on that, but I think for sure we. We at least are starting to sound like our, we've, we've started to sound like ourselves again, um, which is really what people want. 
they're not looking for a big corporation. They're looking for friendships and people that want to stand alongside them and listen to their struggles and understand what's happening in their business so that they can get some real feedback. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what we were doing live. But what was coming out as far as our writing um, and our messaging wasn't aligning with that. So Gail, do you, do you have some comments about oh, that? Oh, gosh, I do. Yeah. I do. Okay. Well, I was thinking, too, about how the fact uh, we made a big pivot and we did this because we listened to our clients. And I think this is an important message out of this, too, is that you need to listen to your clients because they're going to tell you what they want and what they need. And you want to give them what they want and then also give them what they need. And so I think it was about 2012 when I started doing VIP days, which just came out of a request from a client. And then that evolved into that being our primary thing. We called our one thing. And so we have very definitely honed down this being our top product that we offer. And the product being that we transform people's businesses in a day or two days if they're in a VIP experience. But what happened is that was an evolution of listening to our clients over time and realizing that in order for us to best serve our market, that we needed to completely change our brand and go a different direction. And so we renamed our business to Gail W. Coaching and Consulting, which is what we are now. Right. And that was six years ago. That was a great thing. That was one of the best things we could have done. And also what I would add is we went from not having a list to having this huge list of 18,000 and trying to sell this $37 a month membership. And we, we were spread then. It was like, gosh, how can we do all of this? Right. And then when we really came back to Gail and Aaron and what we want and what we want at the end of the day and the type of work we want to be doing, we love connecting with people. We love relationships. Um, we, you know, enjoy getting to see people and ex having experiences with our clients. And, you know, Gail had started doing these VIP days and she's like, I love this. And I'm like, I love it too. Let's maybe bring the price up, but let's have less transactions and let's have more intense relationships and friendships with our clients and really help them with the big stuff instead of trying to spread ourselves thin and do this with, with, 18,000 people at $37 a month. And that right. was a huge change for us. And mm -hmm. it, it shifted our focus. And I feel like we came back to, not that we didn't have our quality factor, we are, always have, but I felt like we were fulfilled on a daily basis with the richness and the conversations and quality uh, relationships that we are creating with our clients when we made that change. Well, it, it has been a complete shift for us, but it's been the one that has made us both a lot happier. It's more authentic to us. And how that relates to our listeners is that they need to do this in their own business and know who is that ideal client and make sure they're serving that ideal client. And then on top of that, make sure they're serving that client in a way they want to serve that client because not all clients are the same. And they may have a big uh, pocketbook, but are they people you want to work with? And the reality is the answer is no. You don't want to work with all those people. Some people are not that nice. And if you have any concerns about that, you can certainly look at it from the financial viewpoint. But I think it also has to be from the viewpoint of how do you want to work day to day? And do you want that stress of working with somebody who's demanding and maybe nasty to you? 
And we've had clients yell at us before. I remember that well. And it is no fun when you have that happen. So to me, it's all about as you evolve and grow as a person, determine your values, figure out what matters to you, have non-negotiables, and just decide that you're only going to work with people that appreciate and value what you do. And everybody else can go somewhere else. Maybe they can just go buy a retail, but quite frankly, it's not worth it if you don't like the people you're working with. Right. Well, and I look at the times, I mean, we do ask our clients often what they want, what -hmm. changes they want to see. And I look at the times, like the pivotal times that we were deciding to start a boardroom. We were deciding to do the VIP experience. We were um, starting to do live events and retreats and things like that. Every time we go back to our clients, ask them what they want, we have to figure out how to deliver it. But at least we know what it is that we want or what they want. Um, And then we can always add in that what we know that they need as well and that experience. Um, But it's been a huge period of growth for us because it's, it's a new challenge and it's something new to figure out. And you know, just as in any relationship, it's kind of, you know, always renegotiating those relationships as people grow and change. And I think we've done a really good job of staying in front of our clients and just keeping up with what they want. What topics do you want to hear about? Where do you want to go? Um, how do you want us to facilitate? Um, and I think that that has been really rewarding at the end of the day to just to see how we've gotten to grow as individuals and in our business with the changes that our clients are asking for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, as you get to this point in your career where I've been doing a couple of businesses for myself and, um, and of course this one with Aaron, it really is about making sure that everything that you're doing really fits who you are. And you don't want to make concessions on that. So whatever you do, you have to focus on that. But, also remember that your your role as a leader of the business is to make money in the business. You're not here for not making money. And I read this stat the other day, and I can't remember where it was from, but it said that only 40% of all businesses make a profit. That's and crazy. I was stunned by that. I could not believe it. And the fact that that is the case is obviously there's some of those are hobby businesses where people maybe are doing that on the side and the husband's allowing or the wife is allowing the other person to do that business and they're not that worried about it contributing to their home. But if you really care about it and if you care about growing, then you need to know your numbers. You need to know how to set up a financial model. You need to know how to budget. And these things need to be parts of how you run a business. Because if you want to be beyond just a hobby business and you want to be a serious business owner, this has to be a skill set that you have. Right. And you've got to be ready to market. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether you know how to do it or not, um, you are your best teammate in that. And even if it's just dedicating the time each week to your business, we tell people to use um, to set aside 10 hours every week on marketing your business. That's that can be in all sorts of different ways. You know, a virtual coffee date, um, you know, going to a business networking event, putting together, you know, gifts for your clients that um, asking them for referrals, things like that. But 
you know, you've got to be ready to market. You can't just say, oh gosh, you know, I'm uh, this talented, creative, amazing person. And then just expect people to go, oh my God, look at that creative, amazing person. Like I should do something with them. Like you've got to get yourself out there um, in more than one way. And, you know, we, I mean, even when we look at our stats sometimes on social media, I know people are super into that right now. And that's not really necessarily the place that we find a lot of our clients. Um, but if we weren't there and we didn't have a daily presence there, it would be noticed. So, you know, just finding that happy medium of what you enjoy and where you really feel like your voice um, resonates with people, I think is really important. But if you're going to do it and you're going to not necessarily have a business plan, but you're, you know, as part of your plan, I would definitely say to do some time blocking and make sure you get your marketing in. And and even when you're the busiest, get your marketing in because that's that's where you're going to make your profit. Right. Well, one of the things too that just has been stunning to me over the years is probably 95% of our clients that come to us for VIP don't even have a budget and they don't have a business plan and they don't have a marketing plan. We always ask those three questions. And when I see that, it tells me that they're just waiting to see what comes in the door. So they're being very reactive versus proactive. And that is not a really good way to run your business. Right. Well, Gail, it's never a dull moment um, We're in working together. We're always learning new things um, and putting our own demands and deadlines on ourselves um, to be better and to get things done for our clients. Um, so what are some of the lessons that you want our listeners to take away from today? Well, first of all, they need to have a plan. And the plan doesn't have to be a full-blown marketing plan or a full-blown business plan, but they need to know what it is they're doing. And most importantly, they need to figure out how are they going to make money doing what they're doing. So they have to have the right rates. They need to have the right markups. They need to have the right controls over their business so that they actually are ending up with more than 8% net profit. I'd like for people to be better than that. And most of our clients are. In fact, we have a lot. They're up in the 10, 20, 25% net profit. And that's what I love to see. And it is possible to do that, but you cannot do that without having a plan. And the second thing is something that you brought up early in the call, which is you have to have enough capital to make it through downturns. And in today's times, I would say you need to have a year of capital. And what that means is about, um, well, actually 12 months of all of your overhead to run the business. And then if you are an LLC, it also needs to include what you draw out of the business for the year. So say your expenses for the year are 120000 and you draw out 80000 you need to have 200000 in the bank. Finally, I would just say, just get really clear and put together a budget, even if you don't have a perfect way of doing it. A simple way is to pull out your current profit and loss statement and put it, those categories into a spreadsheet look at what you spent last year and add 10% to that. And it's probably going to be fairly close to where you need to be. But also look at if your profit is not at least 8%, then you need to raise your rates. So those are a couple of things I would recommend. Thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you guys next week.